Hello, my friends. Today, I'm going to take you through a government document line by line. Now, I'll read it carefully and slowly so you'll get it on the podcast, but I do believe that if you were to get the video version of this, you would like it even better. And that's why I want to invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. It's just eight bucks a month or 80 bucks for the whole year, and you get the video version of this podcast, plus access to video shows every week, produced shows by Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. I think it's great content for eight bucks, which is less than Netflix, but frankly, uh, it's more important to just give us a source of income, because we don't take any of that Trudeau bailout money. So please go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, why is Justin Trudeau planning to operate federal quarantine prisons for two more years? It's October 21st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I saw this news today. Did you see it? Volunteer 28 in Oxford coronavirus vaccine trial dies in Brazil. Oh, yikes, that's not good. Let me read a little bit. A young volunteer in the University of Oxford and AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine trial has died in Brazil. According to Brazilian news site Globo, the 28-year-old participant passed away as a result of complications from COVID-19 on Thursday. Brazil's health authority, Anvisa, and Oxford University confirmed the death, but said that clinical trials will continue. Oxford said an independent review had revealed there was no safety concerns with the vaccine. <laughs> so one of your guinea pigs just dies. And by guinea pigs, I mean humans. And he was a young man, 28 years old. And young men, 28 years old, almost never die from the coronavirus. And you're saying he died from the coronavirus? and he's part of your vaccine trials, but there's no safety concerns. You realize that you saying there's no safety concerns when someone in your vaccine trials literally just dies from the virus. You realize that, and that in fact makes you sound even more dangerous, don't you? So are we gonna be forced to take these vaccines? And by forced, I don't mean necessarily someone holding you down and jabbing a needle into you, but actually that wouldn't really surprise me. But by forced, I mean the same way other countries are forcing things. In Australia, they have a phrase, no jab, no pay. And they're talking about jabbing a Chinese-made vaccine in you, so you know it's only the bestest vaccine you can get. I don't know if you saw this a few months ago. I suspect the majority of Australians will get vaccinated and then there will be a strong um, public view um, that those who choose not to get vaccinated um, uh, need to, um, uh, there needs to be some sort of um, in incentive stick perhaps um, through the current programs including no jab, no pay um, uh, to, to make that happen. So I, th I think that is a, a very reasonable interpretation of what um, the PM had to say today, again, looking at specific things like not being able to um, go into restaurants, not being able to travel internationally. So sure, this upcoming vaccine will be completely voluntary. It's just that, you know, 
You won't be able to go to work or go to a restaurant or travel or get paid if you don't get jabbed. But yeah, choice is yours completely. It's voluntary. Here's Jacinda Ardern, the newly re-elected Prime Minister of New Zealand, who goes even further. She puts people in prisons until they comply with her health demands. But as she laughs here, <laughs> it's completely up to them how long they're going to stay in prison. You said I wanted to, um, I've got a number of questions about people um, refuse, you know, what do we do if someone refuses to be tested? Well, they can't now. If someone refuses in our um, facilities to be tested, they have to keep staying. So they won't be able to leave after 14 days. They have to stay on for another 14 days. So it's a pretty good incentive. You either get your tests done and make sure you're cleared or we will keep you in a facility longer so i think people most people will look at that and say i'll take the i'll take the tea. yeah hilarious stuff there you know justin trudeau has bought 37 million syringes which just happens to work out to exactly one for every man woman child and baby in canada i say again there has been a single death in canada under age 20 from the virus and that case had terrible pre-existing conditions so if there's 10 million people or so in that age bracket and literally only one died you have a 1 in 10 million chance of dying from the virus if you're a young person, as close to zero as possible. But do you think a brand new, rushed-to-market, made-in-China vaccine, or even the one that Oxford's testing in Brazil, or whatever, do you think it'll have a higher or lower risk than the 1 in 10 million that the virus poses itself for young people? 1 in 10 million risk for under-20s, but no jab, no pay. Stay in jail till you do it. Or at least don't travel, don't work, don't go to a restaurant without your certificate. I think the public has to know this is one of the worst case scenarios in terms of an infectious disease outbreak in that their cooperation is sought. If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and, and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on their uh, arms, have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken. Yeah, that's from a documentary she did a few years ago. Imagine that woman in charge of your freedom. Which brings me to this modest proposal by Justin Trudeau's Public Works Department. As you can see, it's from the federal government's procurement website uh, through Public Works Canada. This is where all the things that the federal government buys are listed. They have lots of rules in English and French. This is where they publish their requests for proposals, RFPs as they call them, where they ask companies to bid on projects. Sometimes they have sole source projects too, often to liberal insiders. But look at this one. It's titled Service Providers for Federal Quarantine Isolation Sites. Oh, really? Oh, yes. It's a tender notice, letter of interest, request for information. So this isn't the contract yet. It's feeling around, asking companies to tell them their big ideas. It's like a brainstorming session for companies that specialize in private detention facilities. So you'd expect private, private prison companies to be sending in all sorts of proposals right now, proving how good they are at managing private prisons. That's what a quarantine isolation site is. It's a prison, but for people who are not criminal. It's a prison for people that Teresa Tam thinks should be locked up for whatever health reason, perhaps for not wanting to get jabbed. Let me read this for you. As you can see, they have a window called Region of Delivery, and you can see they list every single province and territory. And to the left of that, they say who the end user is. That's Public Health Agency of Canada, so that's Theresa Tam. 
And under that is a general description. I'm going to read what they say. It's going to take me about a minute to read it, but bear with me. I think it's actually pretty interesting. The government of Canada is considering engaging a third-party service provider for federal quarantine isolation sites that will be used to house and care for people for public health and other related federal requirements associated with the COVID-19 pandemic response. The government is seeking feedback from current service providers about potential options for standing up, operating, and managing all the services associated with these sites. The purpose of this request for information, RFI, is to seek feedback from potential service providers in order to develop a strategy for the potential future management of these sites going forward. Should the government of Canada determine that a third-party managed solution going forward is a viable strategy, Public Services and Procurement Canada may issue a request for proposal to provide suppliers the opportunity to bid on the services required as per the schedule containing this document. Okay, thanks for letting me read all that. I just wanted to set the table here. These detention centers are for public health reasons or other reasons related to the pandemic. Hang on, what are non-health reasons for a detention center? (laughs) Why, it's non-compliance. For people who aren't sick, they're not a health risk, but maybe they're a political risk. As Teresa Tam said in that film clip I showed earlier, it's for people who won't do what politicians tell them to do. I find it odd that the government is asking for tips on how to do all this. They're asking for vendors to dazzle them with ideas. Hang you either need something or you don't as a government. Why would you tell the world's prison companies to hit you up with their best shot? Hey guys, just dazzle us. I don't know what I want, but I know when I'll see it. Impress me, guys. Well, why, why are you asking the world's private prison companies to come up with solutions for you? If you ask a jail builder to come up with an idea, it's probably going to be an idea for building jails, I'm guessing. You're begging the question. Now, there's a lot of documents linked on this site, but I'll just read from the first one, published about a month ago. The document repeats some of what I just read at length, and then it gives us some more detail. I'm going to read a little bit of this for you. Under the current emergency order in Council, all travelers arriving in Canada must have a suitable place to isolate or quarantine. Public Health Agency Canada is currently managing 11 designated quarantine sites, DQS, in nine cities across Canada with a capacity to lodge up to 1,600 travelers. Public Health Regional staff are responsible for the management of nine quarantine sites across Canada with logistics, cleaning, transportation, food, and nursing services provided by external providers. Really? Did you know that? Did you know there's 11 quarantine sites in Canada right now? 11 of them, uh, out of the 11, nine are run by the feds, two by private companies. I didn't know that. In nine cities, who's, who's in there? They actually list on page 11 of this document where the existing detention centers are. Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, but also Kelowna, Fredericton, St. John's, places like that, Whitehorse even. Why? Page 12 has their wish list of cities. They want to add Saskatoon, Charlottetown, Iqaluit. Why, why on earth for? Is it really people who are returning from abroad and have no place to self-quarantine as travelers? Is that really it? Because by the way, uh, last I checked, and I just checked this morning, uh, there were only foreign flights coming into four Canadian cities, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal. So why would there be quarantine camps in other cities? Who's in there right now? Why would this need to be? expanded. I'll read some more. At this time, the designated quarantine sites are being used to address the COVID-19 14-day quarantine requirements for international travelers not having a suitable place to isolate. 
over time, the use of these DQS, designated quarantine um, facilities, may be temporarily discontinued until needed again by the government of Canada, or maybe used for other requirements. Really? Other requirements? Like, like what other requirements? What, what does that mean? I'll read some more. In anticipation of a possible continued need for quarantine sites over the next one to two years, given the COVID-19 pandemic, public health is considering having a third-party service provider provide and manage the existing sites and all of the related services on its behalf. Public health may also consider expanding its site footprint to other locations provided in Annex C. That's what I just read to you, the, their wish list of cities. So this is going to take one or two years. So much for two weeks to flatten the curve, eh? What does that mean, one to two years? Now, I'm not going to go through this whole document. I invite you to do so yourself. But I note this. Security services 24 times 7, I guess 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, at the sites by licensed security guards, which will be contracted separately. Oh. So is that security like, I don't know, mall cops? Or, you know, the security guard at the bottom of a skyscraper? just to make sure people are orderly, no hobos coming in or whatever. Is that what it's like? Or is it the actually the opposite? Is it security to keep people in, like, you know, like in a prison? And look at this. The request for information stage is ending, and we're moving to actual bids, and they plan to award the contract in March if they proceed. Are they actually going to do this? Now, look, I do not believe in conspiracy theories. The world is insane enough as it is. You don't need to give yourself a fictional problem to worry about. But this is not fictional. This isn't some fake email allegedly leaked from the Liberal Party, like something that's being circulated online right now. No, this is a real thing on the government's real page for public works. This isn't a conspiracy. This is the public works department telling you their plans and inviting private prisons to come up with creative ideas. The 37 million syringes isn't a conspiracy theory. The dead vaccine patient in Brazil isn't a conspiracy theory. This is the most interesting story in Canada, I think. It truly reads like dystopian science fiction. So why aren't all the Justin journos in the media party covering it? <laughs> well, that question sort of answers itself, doesn't it? Stay with us for more. You wouldn't know it, but that is Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the New Democratic Party, one of the opposition parties in Parliament. You don't see a lot of Jagmeet Singh doing the news circuits because he doesn't do well in any interview. I've never seen him do well in an interview where there's substantive policies to be discussed. But he sure is good at doing the TikTok memes, isn't he? He practices and practices and looks so cool to the teens and 20s set. The reason I show you this is because while Jagmeet Singh was practicing his TikTok videos, the grown-ups were in Parliament. There was a real showdown. Justin Trudeau and his minority liberals were doing everything they could to avoid a new anti-corruption committee 
proposed by various other opposition parties, especially the Conservatives. In fact, Pablo Rodriguez of the Liberals threatened that if indeed the opposition parties created an anti-corruption committee, they would hold a snap election. Well, in the end, Jagmeet Singh buckled and said, no, 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 Trudeau, we'll give you what you want. And so we stumble forward. Um, We don't have the disclosure we need. We don't have the integrity we need. And Jagmeet Singh is not, in fact, an opposition politician, is he? Joining us now via Skype from Ottawa is our friend Manny Montenegrino, the CEO of ThinkSharp. Manny, I'm just sad that Jagmeet Singh is so good at TikTok videos and so bad at his actual job, which is being an opposition leader. He just seems to be Justin Trudeau's kept man. Yeah, no, what a, what a dream it is for Justin Trudeau, uh, as weak as he is, to have a, a, as you put it, a kept man to hold up his parliament the way he wants. It's worse than a majority. Uh, a majority government uh, worries about all of the, all of the uh, supporters of that party. Uh, there's a lot of liberals that are not happy with the brinkmanship that the uh, Justin Trudeau is doing, what he's doing to the rule of law, what he's doing to um, you know, obstruction. And this uh, latest act, what he did with proroguing, he prorogued parliament mm-hmm. to avoid accountability at, at a committee. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of people happy. Uh, and I'm talking liberals that I know that are not happy with it. But when you have Jagneet Singh there saying, hey, I'll back you, um, you know, this is Trudeau's uh, dream day. It's very frustrating. You know, in, in recent weeks, we've been hearing from the United States about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, who seems yes. to be profiting off his relationship to his father. He was doing deals in China. He was doing deals in Russia. He was wired money by the former wife of the mayor of Moscow, wired three and a half million dollars, all these crazy things. And we're watching that from up here. But in Canada, it's like Hunter Biden became the prime minister. And we see Trudeau, his wife got 24 grand in trips from the We charity of the Keel Brothers, Keelbergers. His mom got 180,000 bucks worth of goodies. Like just the hundreds of thousands of gifts and cash to his close family. And that's what we know about without this anti-corruption committee. Right. Who knows how deep it goes? I'm sure it well, goes deep. Well, we do know. I mean, they, you know, it's not, if this was the only allegation in his fifth year uh, as prime minister, and I don't know how many years he's been a parliamentarian, uh, certainly over 10. If this was the first allegation, you kind of can say, well, you know, we we don't want to know the details. It isn't his first. Ezra, you know, that TikTok video really explains the problem with everyone today. Mm-hmm. It's seven seconds, it's eight seconds, and that's the totality of their understanding of any subject. Mm-hmm. No one goes into history. No one looks at So, I mean, as lawyers, we're trained to do that. And I feel like I stand alone, but let's go back into history. Mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau, $1.3 million he charged a speaking fees while he's a sitting member of parliament. This is before he was a leader. This is while he's a sitting member of parliament. I mean, that was just offensive. Some of it, uh, at one instance, and we forget, but he charged his limousine and everything else to the MP account 
And during the whole Duffy trial, he thought, oh, well, that's wrong. Let me just repay that. It was an error. Hmm. So it started 10, 15, 10 years ago. So we have that $1.3 million where, I mean, here he is, the shadow minister for youth in the government of Canada being paid a hefty MP salary. Mm -hmm. And he goes and speaks at a school and charges the school $25,000. I mean, so it starts there. Then we add SNC-Lavalin. Then we add obstruction of justice. Then we add, there's so many things. I mean, this guy, I mean, it's not, there is so much there in the We Charity. And what what upsets me the most, Ezra, is during crises, there are two types of people that come out there. There's people who, you know, see a crisis and loot or take advantage of the in, innocent people in the crisis and those who protect the people in the crisis, mm-hmm. those who stand by and stand by the stores that may be burnt or not. You know, you can see the character of a person when there's a crisis. We don't know when crises come, but we can define people by crises. And what does, what does a person do during a crisis? Does he stand up? Well, we've already know what has happened during this crisis. I mean, yes, Trudeau spent a lot of Canadian taxpayers' money, but he also used it as an opportunity to do what he loves doing best, which is not the most ethical ethical thing. And we saw that with we, almost up to a billion dollars. There are cases, there are reports now that hundreds of millions of dollars were given to friendly liberal parties, XMPs, to do PPEs, to do developments and to help. So he took this crisis and said, hey, no one's watching. Let's just use the money. We're spending four or five hundred billion dollars. What's a billion or two to our friends? Nobody's watching and he's doing so. So the worst type, I mean, the the only analogy I can think is that is is that there's a crisis. We hire a security guard to take care of our, our property and our billion and our valuables at our business and uh, the security company and we hear that there's some theft by the security company by our neighbors and we want we call them and say oh yeah well we'll just walk away from this and, and that's what the attitude is we need transparency we need trudeau to tell us where every dollar is going this committee is very important yeah. because in the spending of 500 billion dollars i'm you know ezra I'll bet you, I bet you that at least a billion or two billion went to friends of the Liberal Party. This isn't like the ad scam where only a hundred million went. This is billions. Yeah. Well, you're so right. And you're making reference to a story broken by the Journal de Montréal. Right. That um, an ex-MP, a Liberal insider, set up a company for PPE, personal protective equipment, 11 days before they were granted a nine-figure sole source contract by Trudeau. Just, here you go, absolutely. And I understand that uh, that estimates are that they overpaid by $100 million. That kind of casual corruption on that scale, I don't think Canada's ever seen that before. I mean, that alone is larger than... or is as large as the entire ad scam fiasco that brought sure. down Paul Martin, the tail end of Jean Chrétien's career. Yeah, I, I'm guessing, Ezra, you know, this is not being mean or this is not being partisan. This is just looking at behavior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any any person who's a multimillionaire um, that gets paid a handsome salary to do nothing 
as in an opposition party, the third opposition party, the Liberal parties were the third opposition party, and finds it in his heart to charge a school $25,000 for speaking when he's a shadow minister or a shadow for the Liberal Party, the third party, uh, for, for youth. Uh, when you can do that, and it's, you know, it's 25000 but it's a school's 25000 and I give you a checkbook yeah. of $500 billion, Ezra, it is in the billions. The Conservatives and the Bloc are right to look at it. I, I am guessing... If we saw we at 900 million, and you can see that they slow, they they kind of disappeared after that. They didn't get the 900 million, so it was really a, 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 a necessary for we because they're now not the now not the organization they were. But if there's one we, I I you know I'm thinking Ezra, honestly, if I had we could audit it, it's in the at least a five to ten billion dollar range yeah. of the 400 right, billion dollars. Right. You're right. I mean, you added up the the quarter of a billion or whatever for this PPE deal. Right. The 900 million for the WE deal. There's all of those infrastructure, green infrastructure projects that Catherine McKenna just says, oh, gee, we don't have any paperwork for. Right. Those are just off the top of my head. Everything they touch, there's a layer of grift. And by grift, I don't mean a few pennies. The 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 majority of the money is grift. It really is shocking. Um, and I am, what breaks my heart is that the RCMP, and I, there's a reason they're the symbol for Canada in so many ways. They're upstanding, they're morally strong. I think of, you know, the, the gold rush uh, in the Yukon and how the Northwest Mounted Police kept the peace and were respected by all, both Aboriginal and white and Americans and Canadians. That, that, exempt, that moral exemplary history that makes the Mounties so beloved, and yet with Trudeau's hand-picked RCMP commissioner, nothing on SNC-Lavalin, yeah. nothing a, on any yeah. of these, on, on we, nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing. Where's the cops? The cops were chosen by Trudeau. That's where they are. Yeah, well, that, Ezra, that's one of the points. What's happened over a very short period of time is the politicization of everything. Uh, what used to protect Canadians was a a, a, a a vibrant, independent media. This stuff right. would not last a day right. without a, a vibrant. You don't see any of this on CBC, CTV, Global. You see it, of course, on Rebel and God Bless Rebel and how long they can get the message out. But, you know, but you don't see it. Yeah. So. The, the media has been politicized. It is a liberal team, and I watch it daily. And it, it you know, I, I, it is on the liberal team. We've politicized the RCMP. We've politicized every. We politicized, and I, you know, this would be for another debate. Maybe one day we'll talk about the debates commissioner in Canada, how politicized it was, mm -hmm. and how the debates commissioner uh, commission in America is very mm -hmm. politicized. You know, we, 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 and the FBI, we, we need the institutions to be there, uh, but they realized it. They realized that um, they, uh, they realized that they politicized and the liberals politicized. And so, so that's where Canada has slipped away. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I look at the United States and how every single establishment institution is opposed to the president. Uh, right. Law professors, Hollywood, the news media, they're not even reporters half the time, they're hecklers. Um, even the, the so-called bipartisan debates commission is, is wildly anti-Trump. And I look at those analogous institutions in Canada. Um, the debates commission, we have one in Canada, 
all the members who were appointed by Trudeau. We don't have an FBI and a deep state working against Trudeau. They're all on his leash. I don't right. see law professors signing letters in support of Jody Wilson-Raybould and against Trudeau. I don't, I mean, I don't see the media. I mean, this story by the Journal de Montréal is an anomaly, and it could never have been published by, say, the CBC. All the institutions in the States that are so wildly against Trudeau are tame and mute and meek in Canada. Ezra, the, uh, you're absolutely right. And that's where what I have learned is that in the liberal order of life, it doesn't matter how many institutions we take down in order that we get power. Yeah. And look at the look at the Supreme Court of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's just, I mean, I'm telling you, I shrank when I watched the nomination process of, uh, of uh, Justice Barrett, uh, the probably most fantastic, brilliant woman I've ever heard and her understanding of the law and her understanding not to conflate politics with law. Uh, it was brilliant. Not one person said, hey, wait a minute. Why are the Senate asking questions for a judge to predict a, 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 a case? And that in itself is wrong. So when you see that, it's just they don't even know the fundamental division of powers in America. And no judge should ever be asked, what are your views and how will you decide on something? That, that's just dead wrong. But more so, there's this, and I think it will happen if Biden wins, he will pack the court taking it from nine to 12, there should be every judge in every judge and every lawyer in America saying that is the absolute abusive process. When you take the third branch of the independent branches of America and politicize it to an extent that it is, that it just becomes a, a, a part of the Congress, it's just dead wrong. But there's dead silence. And it's just so when you can see that happening, when you see like like you spoke about Biden, how could there be a reasonably honest liberal that says, hey, the media's got to at least report on this? Mm-hmm. And they don't, but they're happy. They're cheering on that the independent media is not even reporting on a major uh, matter. They, you know, social media is blocking people that report on a factual matter. So, and no one is saying, wait, let's stop that. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're describing there in the U.S. confirmation of a judge, it's back and forth, and I agree with you, some of the questions were inappropriate by the Democrat senators, but at least they have an independent judiciary and they can confirm it here. The prime minister basically announces the judge. Right. Uh, The Parliamentary Justice Committee can put some written questions very politely to the judge, but it's foreordained. There's no confirmation process. So I say, even as you describe the dysfunction in the United States, we can only aspire to that level of dysfunction because everything here is already under the prime minister's sole control. You know, I feel like in some ways I'm depressed that we won't have the kind of robust scrutiny of Trudeau that he needs. But had he gone to an election right now, had Jack Mead Singh oh, sure. not been there, I think Trudeau would have got a majority because I think absolutely I think there's been no institutions blocking him. And I think, as with other governments around the world, like New Zealand's prime minister just got a thumping re-election. Uh, yeah, think- no, no, this is this is absolutely planned. I mean, Trudeau must be surprised that he's actually said, 
I want to stop a criminal investigation against me or a, a corruption investigation of me, or we go to the polls and, and Jagmeet Singh, uh, you know, he buckles like a cheap suit. He is surprised. Uh, Ezra, quick little facts. Uh, the last time uh, uh, liberals have done a snap election, 2000, November 27, uh, Stockwell Day was the leader for four months. Uh, 2004, June 28th, uh, Stephen Harper was a leader for three months. Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron O'Toole is a leader for three months. Mm -hmm. This is planned. They right. want this election right. so bad right. for two reasons. And every time you have a new leader, they make mistakes. I was there when Stephen Harper made a few mistakes his first time. Mm -hmm. People at the first time make mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, they want this election for two reasons. Uh, the leader's not ready. And number two, everyone in the world is getting a bump with coronavirus, yeah, yeah. Uh, except for uh, uh, Trump, and that yeah, tells you, yeah. that just tells you uh, the the absolute uh, bias in the media. So, no, uh, New Brunswick did it, uh, went from minority to majority, BC is doing it uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Trudeau wants this so bad. Trudeau tomorrow can pass a motion saying, if you don't give me $50 billion, uh, <laughs> it's a confidence motion. They'll, they'll probably say yes to it. You're so right. He wins either way. Either he yeah, gets the he, outrageous yeah. thing he wants or he gets the election he wants. He's in a... Oh, it just... Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's... And it's so cynical because there's a long history of this happening. And what really bothers me is every Canadian forgets what happened yesterday. And I blame... TikTok, yeah. I blame, has social media. Everything lasts for one day, one. I mean, we prorogued, Trudeau prorogued government mm -hmm. to avoid accountability at a yeah. committee. Yeah. Didn't pay a price whatsoever. And of course, the media was there supporting him, saying what a brilliant man he is. There's no parliament left. There's no accountability. We, um, it's a sad day in, in Canada's life. I mean, it's just, we are not the Canada that, uh, that uh, we think we are. Well, Manny, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. You're a fan favorite. You teach us so much every time we talk. I'm grateful for your time and wisdom. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ezra. It's my pleasure. There you have it. Manny Montenegrino, the CEO of Think Sharp. And he joined us today via Skype from Ottawa. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my monologue last night. Derek writes, Trudeau is afraid of an anti-corruption committee? Why would he be afraid of anything if he did nothing wrong? Well, that's the thing. I mean, an anti-corruption committee could investigate any party, anyone. He sure seems pretty defensive about that, doesn't he? Susanna writes, I can't believe the groper-in-chief in his corrupt government is still polling so high. I know of a lot of people who are hardened followers of the bought-off Canadian media. I guess realizing that the news channels you've been watching for the last 40 years a line cue is a hard pill to swallow. Exactly. I mean, seriously. Uh, I, I, there's a song that Morrissey wrote about five years ago. I can't get it out of my head. It's spent the day in bed. Like he's, he, I, you know, I got to play that song for you one day. Um, in fact, I want to play for you a clip right now. We won't put this on YouTube. It would be demonetized. But just get a load of this. I love my bed And I recommend that you stop, stop watching the because the news contrives to frighten you, to make you feel small and alone, to make you feel that your mind isn't your own. I spent the day in bed. Yeah, 
stop watching the news because the news contrives to frighten you, to leave you sad and alone, to make you feel your mind isn't your own. That's the news. And what's my point? My point is to answer your question. If you just turned off the news, blotted it out, blacked it out, didn't listen to any news, and lived your life normally, you'd probably be happier. I mean, you'd be naive, you would be living in a bubble, but maybe you'd be happier if you didn't see the destruction of the country. I myself, once you're woke, you can't get unwoke. Once your eyes are open, you can't really close them. But maybe people who stop watching the news and hide in bed, maybe they're happier. That's what watching the CBC and reading the Toronto Star is like. You're in this left-wing alternative universe where everything's going great. On my interview with Dove Hikind, Jer writes, Governor Cuomo has to deflect blame from his obvious failures involving the pandemic, so he writes a book praising himself and finds a handy group of people to criticize. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's, I understand scapegoating, scapegoating the other, but it's just so surprising to me that New York, which has the largest population of Jews um, anywhere outside Israel, uh, it just seems crazy to me to pick on Jews. It would be like the governor of New York picking on the Irish or picking on Italians. What are you doing that's such a big component of your own people? It's madness, but I guess he thinks it's working for him. I just never would have expected it. I mean, I remember his father, um, you know, Mario Cuomo, who was very Italian, obviously, but he, I, I really thought he felt Jewish also. He was so supportive and integrated with the Jewish community there. I, I mentioned the other day, Fiorello LaGuardia, the great mayor of New York after whom the airport is named, he was half Italian, half Jewish. To me, that's New York City. I mean, like it or hate it, that's the city, Jews, Italians, and Irish. I mean, Puerto Ricans, Blacks, Koreans, etc. too. But how do, you, how do you go to war against a whole swath of your own people? I think it's madness, but if it's working, maybe he's crazy like a fox. I just don't get it. I don't like to see it. All right, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.